Don't miss out on the latest news and events in your community. Visit StarLocalMedia.com today. Sign up for our newsletter and stay informed on all the latest stories affecting your neighborhood. And if you're a local business owner, let us help you reach your target audience with our effective advertising solutions. Visit StarLocalMedia.com and take the first step towards staying connected to your community. Test, test, test. Test, test, test. Test. Can you hear me? Can you guys hear me? Yep. I think so. Loud and clear. You got me? Yes, sir. You got me, too. I got you, David. Okie dokie. Cool, cool. All right. Let's scooch everyone down. Can we all see ourselves in the frame? Welcome to another episode of the Star Local Media High School Sports Podcast. My name is Matt Welch, being joined by Devin Hassan and David Woolman. It is uh, 9, 10 a.m. on a Thursday morning. And gentlemen, we are here to talk about our game of the week, our redevoted game of the week. Big thank you to everybody who went to our website, starlocalmedia.com, to vote on the five games up for uh, selection this week. Devin, they did it again. <laughs> Was there ever a doubt? <laughs> I, it's, it, it, it's probably the thing that amazes me most about the Saxy fan base is that, like, the thing with high school sports is that they're cyclical. So it's yep. not like it's been the same people every year who vote for Saxy when they're up for game of the week. But nevertheless, no matter the turnover, <laughs> man, they just they always turn out in droves when they're up for consideration in this, and sure enough, their game tonight, 7 o'clock out at Williams Stadium in Garland, Saxy against South Garland. Was there ever a doubt, Devin? You know, it's not just that they win the vote. It's just usually a landslide yeah, as well. they crush it's, this thing. Against some really high-profile competition when you Very, look at the other games yeah, on this list. This was, yeah. I mean, there's two teams that are ranked in the top 11 in the state on this poll, too, but Saxy and South Garland got the nod, so that is the game that uh, that, uh, that we will break down as, um, as yes, as a as part of a, uh, this is a zone seeding game in District 96A, Saxy, the two seed out of zone A, South Garland, the three seed out of zone B as part of a, uh, a bit of an innovative approach that the district took to, uh, to scheduling this season due to the uh, the COVID-19 pandemic. And I kind of want to start there because it's been a week for uh, yeah. for Garland ISD for District 96A. So like I said, 9, 10 a.m. on Thursday. This game is still happening tonight, right? As of right now, yes. Because <laughs> that's, uh, that's pretty dicey ground when you look at the rest of the district so far. Um, I mean, yeah, so Garland versus Lakeview Centennial, that was originally set to take place tonight. That has been postponed due to the virus. North Garland and name and I guess that's now going to take place later on this month. Um, I mean, so, yeah, obviously, uh, you know, COVID doesn't care how you structured your uh, your district schedule. They're, uh, COVID's going to COVID, and sure enough, it has COVIDed all over 96A's plans for the week. So what um what has it just kind of been like having to keep up with just the constant shuffling that has gone on this week, Devin? Oh, it's been a blast, let me tell you. <laughs> um, especially, you know, you mix in a little Asani day, the final week of uh, volleyball, a little basketball starting Dude, up. This and, is uh, probably the busiest week that we've had up to this point this year oh yeah yeah Yeah. i think in the fall it always is just because and more so now because of of covid pushing things back but uh no what i was going to say is that this might not be the most glamorous matchup Mm -hmm. on our slate but it might be the most important because this is essentially a playoff game now because Mm -hmm. of all the covid and because of the pod system that that gist put in place i shouldn't say gst 96a wiley's in that bunch also Mm -hmm. um 
But this was uh, the reason they came up with this pod system was if there was going to be further COVID delays, they wanted a way to go ahead and, and, and determine their four playoff teams. And so these seeding games are essentially playoff games mm-hmm. because the winner of this game will be in the playoffs, assuming they can't figure out the schedule later on down the line. So, um, yeah, it takes on huge importance. But, yeah, I mean, it's just the, the dominoes falling, you know, with, you know, Tuesday morning with North Garland having a positive case and then later that afternoon with Lakeview having the positive case. Mm-hmm. Um, we won't even get into the following day when Mesquite had a positive case and, <laughs> and threw 10-6-A all into the schedule, all into, you know, into the air. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it's just been a tough situation. This is, um, you know, again, Rowlett and Wiley both had COVID situations in this district, you know, before the start of district play. That's why Rowlett were sitting here going into uh, mid-November and they played three games mm-hmm. all season long. Um but, again, that pod system that they developed uh, with the zones, the pods, whatever you want to call them, uh, was unique. It was interesting. But right now it's looking like it's kind of a smart idea mm-hmm. in terms of at least they're going to have, hey, we laid this out from the, from the, from the get-go. This is how we're going to determine our playoff teams, whereas you see other districts kind of scrambling to see how we're going to do this with point differential and no contest versus forfeits and, yeah. uh, you know, just everything being thrown you know, to the wind like that. It's just a big old ice cream headache is what yes. it is. Um, but, yes, nevertheless, though, you do have Saxe and South Garland on the docket for tonight. Saxe's been um, – they've been the subject of our game of the week one other time this year. It was when they played Garland, a game that they went on to win emphatically, 49-27. to 27. Things have changed a bit since then. Some uncharted waters for uh, for the Mustangs as they enter this game two and three on the season, two and two in district, an identical record to South Garland. So we can talk a bit about Saxe first, um, given that's the team that we obviously cover a bit more locally. Um, you know, again, when they when they beat Garland, that um, that extended their um, at the time a, a winning streak over Garland ISD football teams to 26 consecutive games, and then they've lost two straight: one to Rowlett and one to Lakeview. Centennial. Um, the game to Rowlett was, I mean, so you did you, you covered this game, right? Okay, so kind of walk me through just what it was like kind of processing that, because you've seen a number of wild games between Rowlett and Saxe over the years, and I guess it was only a matter of time before one of them finally bounced Rowlett's way. Um, but so nevertheless, though, is this was kind of the one that got the ball rolling on this little minor skid that Saxe's in right now. What um what kind of was the big takeaway from, uh, from that ball game? Uh, you know, I think it just kind of highlighted um, some of Saxe's inconsistencies Consistency mm-hmm. um, on offense. Uh, I mean, that's uh, we talked about, uh, you know, early in the year uh, when we talked a little bit about Saxe about their losses on offense to transfers. Yeah. You know, Parker Wells, their quarterback, Sean Coleman to, to Dallas Christian, their running back, Jay Fair and Jordan Neighbors to Rockwell Heath. Well, that's over two thousand yards of offense that they expected to have coming back. Yeah. And you kind of look around at what those guys are doing now. You know, Sean Coleman is averaging 14 yards a carry for Dallas his, Christian. Good Lord. Yeah, 664 <laughs> carries, 895 yards. It's, it's uh, taps for you. Jay, Jay Fair leads the area. Um, he has 46 receptions really? over at Rockwell Heath. Um, so they had a lot of new parts. And, you know, bet- between the pandemic and just getting a late start, they didn't have a lot of time to kind of work those new pieces together. And you saw it click like you did against Garland uh, with Alex Orgy, another transfer, but transfer into Saxe rather mm-hmm. than out. Um, you know, he was really on that game, but he's been, you know, he's trying to get that rhythm down still, I think, um, in that new offense. And, I, I, you know, against Rowlett, Rowlett was just a steadier team, even though Rowlett was essentially, play, you know, hadn't played hardly at all. Um, but I, I think, you know, Rowlett was just able to come out with a more consistent game plan. And this is a rivalry game that's kind of ebbed and flowed. And, and like I say, you know, the year before it was Saxe who was able to pull out the two-point win. This year, Rowlett was just able to make enough plays down the stretch. Um, 
to pull out the two-point win, you know, you think, okay, well, that's a, it's a hiccup. Uh, but then last week, I think for Texas, it was a little bit more alarming. Uh, Kamar Wheaton, who you kind of wonder what's going on. He's, he's had a couple injuries, and sometimes, you know, he just he only get a handful of touches. But uh, I think he went off for, what, 246 last week, I believe, or some, something along those was, lines. I, let's see. The numbers I saw were 22 carries for 264 yards. Yeah. So. So yeah, but that was that's the kind of game that um, if you just go by recruiting rankings and mm-hmm. just kind of the um, the measurables you expect from Kamar Wheaton, and he took it out on Sexy last week, and uh, yeah, Lakeview was able to run away with them. And so now, yeah, you, if you look at Sexy, if you look at it on paper, they're in you know a little bit of a precarious position both in the in the zone and overall because they're two and two, they're basically tied for fourth place, and for a team again like you mentioned that hadn't lost to another GIC team since 2015. Yeah. Now they're sitting on back-to-back losses and uh, got another GIST team this week. Yeah, Dad, I just do quickly want to rope you in on this because I see you have the box score for that Rowlett sure. Sexy game open. Was there anything looking through those numbers that kind of jumped out at you? Just trying to, trying to kind of put the picture in the frame as to what, uh, what exactly happened that night? Um, I don't have a play-by-play here, but just based on the stats right here, um, <clears throat> it looks like Ernest Thomas made a huge difference in that game. Yeah. Um, 100, 121 uh, receiving yards and 80 yards on punt returns. Mm-hmm. So I mean I don't know how much that field that factored in kind of field position right there, mm-hmm. but um, <clears throat> like that's one thing I kind of noticed right there as well too. Um, he had 121 receiving yards, um, and like they only had 80. They only averaged 2.4 rushing yards, but they still had a couple touchdowns. And Trey Carr, um, he completed less than 50 percent of his passes, but he still managed three touchdowns. Mm-hmm. So it looks like you know it wasn't like the best statistic game. Like, you know, as far as efficiency, but they got the job done whenever they needed to. And then the following week against Lakeview Centennial, I mean, just just not a uh, a rough one for the Saxe defense. 526 yards allowed, 378 coming on the ground. We mentioned Wheaton, and yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, this is one of the best running backs in the country. So I guess, yeah, you mentioned, you know, playing to his paper a bit there. I don't know if they anticipated getting hit for 104 yards on the ground by the quarterback, Michael Hero as well. Uh, yeah. it, but it's weird because Saxe had two 100-plus rushes of their own, you know, Alex Orgi and Brian Okoye, both. Both went over 100 in that game, but they finished minus two in turnover differential. And despite, you know, obviously moving the ball fairly well on their own, just 13 points in the second half. So, um, yeah, just a very unexpected situation that Saxe finds itself in. I did go back to um, just to find out, I guess, the uh, the last time that they were uh, in a situation like this. The um, Let's see. So I had um, the uh, the loss to, to Lakeview. That was the most lopsided loss they've had to a Garland ISD team since 2014 when Rowlett beat them 48-22. to And these are the first bad back-to-back losses to Garland ISD teams that they've had since November of 2010. Yep. Ironically enough, 2010, the last time that South Garland defeated Saxe. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, it's trying to figure out just what is what has happened with Saxe, this team that we're just so used to just kind of lording over Garland ISD and this district in general is now they find themselves looking to uh, get above 500. With South Garland, it's kind of been the opposite. Like, I guess I don't know, um, you know, obviously you've been around the Garland ISD district for some time, so I don't know what expectations were externally for uh, for the Colonels coming into this season. But, you know, they've, I mean, they're all of a sudden now, after a, an 0-3 start, they've got two straight wins. Yeah. They beat the reigning district champion, Wiley, who you know, admittedly not you know not the same as they were last year, going through a bit of a transition season. Beat them thirty-five to thirty. They beat North Garland twenty-seven to fourteen. They've already doubled their win total from last year, and the first time they've won multiple district games since two thousand and twelve. 
What do you make of South Garland right now, Devin? Yeah, you know, in fact, I, you know, since 2012, they've had seven wins total in seven years. Yeah. And, and they've hit that, you know, two-win plateau. This is now the third time, you know, since the, their last playoff appearance in 2012. Um, you know, as, as somebody who, like I've said before, kind of pays a little bit more attention to – even though it's not in our coverage area, I have connections to South Garland through – kiddos and whatnot yeah. but um you know coach martinez out there uh really liked kind of the energy he brought last year this is his now his second year but mm-hmm. as a first year coach uh you can tell those guys it's, it's frustrating when you're one and nine when yeah. you're zero and ten but those guys still late in the season were playing hard um and I think that's kind of carried over. Uh, you know, they've, they've got some talented guys. They just don't have the depth mm-hmm. that a lot of other programs do. Jalil Brown, their quarterback, is a kid I really like. He's, you know, he's only 5'9", 165. So um, he's really a running back also. I mean, he rushed for 13, over 1,300 yards last year. Mm-hmm. But out of necessity, he also plays quarterback. And he's a guy that they just really – they moved him to quarterbacks who'd have the ball in his hands on every snap. And he can make some throws. He's more dangerous on the ground. Mm-hmm. Um but, you know, he's got some playmakers around him. Uh, Jalen Chambers ran for uh, more than 100 yards last week. Uh, guys on the outside like Jacob Krim, uh, Damon Rout, uh, Damon Gilmore. Uh, these are guys that I've seen actually go up and make some plays. Uh, the thing is, a lot of these guys are also their best defensive players. Okay. And, um, again, you know, when against, against North Garland last week, uh, these guys were making plays on both sides of the ball, but you wonder against a, a larger team because North Garland kind of su- suffers from those numbers issues as well. Mm-hmm. You wonder against a program like Saxe, who doesn't have to play guys both ways because they have the depth on both sides of the ball. Uh, you know, even if South Garland's able to, because I think they're going to come out, they're going obviously going to come out and play hard. Mm-hmm. I think you know Saxe is more vulnerable than they have been in years, a little bit more mistake prone at least so far this year. Something that South Garland might be able to take advantage of, like they did against North Garland last week. Uh, who I believe turned the ball over four times and, mm-hmm. and, and South Carolina took advantage. Uh, it's going to be that second half and especially that fourth quarter um, where you kind of wonder, okay, does South Carolina really have, yeah. have enough to, in the tank to stay with it? In hindsight, I mean, it's what a hallmark moment that win over Wiley was because you look at just their woes in district play yeah. for quite some time now. That was they had lost 38 consecutive district ball games prior to beating Wiley. You'd have to go all the way back to when they were that brief stint that they had as a 5A program back in 2014. They beat North Forney 41 to 10. My half times have changed. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and and, that's, and the thing is, a lot of those games were, were over by halftime. Yeah. So it's just it, it's it's you know it shows you how how coach. Martinez and that staff has has kind of brought this program along, mm-hmm. uh, and, and the talent in, in GIC is cyclical, and, and maybe it's trending up for South Garland. You never can tell, um, you know, until it plays out on the field. Uh, but just the fact that they're, they've been more competitive, even when they've lost, yeah. you know, even if it's early on, some games can get away from you in the second half. Just the fact that they are more competitive than you know, say three, four, five years ago. Uh, is a big statement for that staff. And as someone who hasn't seen South Garland play in person, I'm just going off numbers and box scores and whatnot, just what's kind of stood out, at least from my vantage point, in those two wins over uh, North Garland and Wiley, was just the second half execution, because they were down at halftime in both of those games, and they had to manufacture some touchdowns in some unconventional ways. You know, against Wiley, it was a fourth quarter pick six by Kadarius Hart that uh, that gave them a lead, and then they were able to put that game away for good with a uh, with a 48-yard touchdown pass from Brown to Tyler on uh, key for a 35-30 lead. And then against North Garland, they outscored them 21-7 in the second half, and it was Jacob Krim who was kind of the hero in that one. He had two touchdown catches, including one that apparently bounced off the De- helmet De- of deflect- a defender. Yeah, he got deflected up in the air, and, yeah, he. Um, I, saw, I, did, I saw the highlights of it. But, yeah, apparently it was uh, 
one of those top top area play yeah. candidates, <laughs> and it's just one of those things that you know when, when you're when you're playing tough, I mean, you're playing strong, and you're playing with emotion. Those things tend to fall your way, and they had the momentum, and that's. That just kind of sealed it for him last week, but yeah. yeah, I mean, again, you know, there's you got one team on a winning streak, one team on a losing streak, so and not the ones that we would expect. <laughs> no, um, yeah, and they're doing it, you know, despite. I mean, so I can't even see. The, so they won that game against North Carolina despite committing almost 200 yards worth in penalties. Yeah, so, <laughs> that was a that, on both sides. He got a little bit chippy, a lot of uh, personal fouls, yeah. a lot of. Uh, I mean, it it it, 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 it was this was in the first half. Mm-hmm. Uh, the teams, I guess, kind of got talked to at half. Tom and said, hey, guys, uh, let's uh, settle this thing down and, and not let the, the flags decide it. But, yeah, it was. Yeah. There was a lot of penalty yards there in the first half. Because you look at the wins, and, I mean, it's the, the passing game hasn't been the most efficient. They're completing just around 41% of their passes in those two wins. Um, you know, but they've uh, they've at least got enough from the run game. You mentioned Brown, obviously, that being more of his, uh, his forte. And then Chambers in these two wins averaging more than eight yards per carry. You know, the passing game, while it hasn't been the most efficient, though, it's when they are able to throw and catch, I mean, big things are happening. Because against North Garland, uh, you know, Jaleel Browns, his yards per completion were 20, was 23.4. And then against Wiley, it was 12.1. So when they're getting the ball in the hands of players like Key and like Krim, I mean, obviously big things are, are happening there. Um, but I'm, I, guess, I guess, so if you're just kind of looking at, it's kind of the, the path to victory for South Garland in this one. I mean, Sexy is a, is a bit of a different animal. No matter what they've been through in recent weeks, you mentioned obviously just the size of that program and whatnot. So what do you see as South Garland's best path to an upset in this one? Avoid the turnovers. Cut down, I can't say eliminate penalties, but cut down on the penalties. I mean, they're going to have to really play Mm -hmm. mistake-free. And I I think they're going to have to move the ball on the ground. Saxe has been susceptible to big plays, um, and maybe they can hit for a couple, but they've got to establish that ground game first, mm-hmm. and, that, and that's with uh, with Chambers and Jaleel Brown um, just kind of mixing the two of those up, uh, maybe even incorporating those guys on the outside. I know Jacob Karim is capable of you know, coming around on uh, maybe on the end around or on a wide receiver screen, uh, but a lot of high percentage, low-risk plays early on, um, and, and just you know make – Saxy Press. That's because mm-hmm. I, I think Saxy's going back to their ground. I mean, with, between Brian Okoye and Corey Jones, uh, and then Alex Orgy on the on the ground um, from the quarterback position, you know, they're averaging the three of them are averaging eight yards of carry. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think Saxy's going to kind of stick to that same. Hey, let's not. I don't want to go high risk and have to try to air it out because that's where we've got ourselves into a little bit of trouble. But if South Carolina is able to maybe take a lead. Maybe get up and establish that ground game, control the clock, mm-hmm. make Saxy press. That's when they're more prone to make a mistake. And then, I mean, crazier things have happened in 2020. Because yeah. <laughs> that's been the one, at least the one consistent theme in these games against Rowlett and Lakeview is that Saxy has never really been able to establish any sort of foothold at any juncture in those games. They were kind of on their heels from the get-go, it felt like, in, in both of them. So uh, I guess let's get to uh, prediction time. So, uh, I mean, we just outlined a path to victory for South Garland. Uh, ultimately, uh, do you guys think it'll be enough tonight? David. I, I still think... <clears throat> Saxy's going to win it just because, like, it seems like they're a team that's used to the playoffs. Mm-hmm. They're the team, it's like, like with the way things are going in the district right now after two straight losses, it's like, okay, the, the desperation is going to kick in. Mm-hmm. So I feel like, I feel like Saxy's going to pull it off. And, and the, the two wins that uh, South Garland had, they're both against, you know, the top, the low, the, 
bottom two teams in the district right mm-hmm. there. So I figured just based on that, I'm going to go with Saxe. One thing that's, um, you know, looking at South Garland's two wins, one thing that stood out is that they didn't score a single point in the first quarter in either game. Now, again, they were able to execute well enough in the second half, um, you know, but it's a team that has still needed some time to find a rhythm, and I just don't know if they're going to be afforded that kind of leeway against a team like Saxe. Again, you know, Rowland and Lakeview did a good job of putting Saxe on their heels in the first half, but just haven't seen enough during this uh, this win streak of South Garland's to make me think that they can follow suit in that. So I, I too, side with the Mustangs to bounce back. I mean, how, I mean, it's just so tough to fathom Saxe losing three straight in that district, given what they've shown over the years. So, um, Devin, are you in concert with that, or just where are you ultimately leaning on this one? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I, I think, you know, South Garland is, his, is certainly what like we've talked about, made strides, but, uh, you know, Saxe has been the cream of the crop in JST for the last few years. I mean, they may not be the best Garland ISD team this year, uh, but they're still, you know, it's, it's hard to see them falling from being an undefeated and, you know, district champion, three-time, you know, district champion yeah. to out of the playoffs. Um, I think that uh, a loss like last week is certainly going to be, has, has been in their ear from the coaching staff for uh, the last several days. I think you'll see a motivated Saxe come out tonight. Um Again, South Carolina won't lack for effort. I just think Saxe is going to have too much form. So there you go. A 3-0 ballot in favor of the Saxe Mustangs to get the win tonight against the South Garland Colonels in our game of the week. That one, once again, 7 o'clock tonight at Williams Stadium. Hope it's a good one. We'll see. Oh, I, I hope it gets played. We, yeah, still, have, we still have a few <laughs> hours to get there. So... Um, so, yes, that is our game of the week. Um, obviously, though, there were a few more games that were up for consideration, some, uh, some, pretty, uh, some pretty salty matchups elsewhere in the area. So let's give a quick uh, preview and prediction for some of those. Let's talk about the one that, um, that I'm going to be at on Friday. This is probably above all else on the schedule this year. This was the one I was looking forward to the most. Friday, 7 o'clock at Eagle Stadium in Allen. Allen versus Denton Geyer. Now, I mean, this is it's number four in the state versus number eleven. There's I without knowing you know the rest of the schedule statewide, hard pressed to find a game that's at least you know more high profile than this right now. Um, there's um, this one's been building for some time ever since you saw realignment in these two teams who were actually initially supposed to open the season against each other as part of the Tom Landry Classic. Um, they will now uh, square off uh, Friday night for uh, the inside track on first place in uh, in five six a. Both teams are undefeated in district play. Um, <coughs> Allen four and one on the season. I'm four, not four and one. I'm four and zero oh on the season. Geyer five and one. I should say under uh, under Rodney Webb. With Allen, I'm anxious to see this just because you know you obviously Allen had the COVID shutdown. They didn't play a football game for four straight weeks. Um, so. And then you, you look at what's happened since then, and they've found the win column against McKinney Boyd and Little Elm, but they've been two fairly uneven performances, you know, for a program whose, you know, Coach Gamble's, his biggest refrain since the day he was hired was just the need for just consistency. And with Allen, you look at that game against McKinney Boyd, the offense, it took them a little over three quarters to get going. It was only a 21-9 lead after three quarters. Then they scored 21 in the fourth quarter, blow the game open, 42-9, to looks great on paper. Um, um, and then against Little Elm, the offense has its best game of the year, 68 points, and you'll win every time you score 68, it seems like. But they gave up 44, and, I mean, it was a it was a 44 that wasn't like in garbage time. John Mateer was – he was taking it to them from the get-go. They made Little Elm quarterback John Mateer look like Pat Mahomes out there with some of the stuff he was putting up, almost 500 passing yards. He almost had 100 rushing yards as well. Um, I mean – and. 
they gave up. I mean, there was the, a season high in big plays given up by that defense, and it was um, you know certainly a little uh, a little bit of a. I mean, Little Lum has been you know competitive in bursts throughout this season, but um, you know certainly not the uh, you know nothing had you know projected that this would be a, a showing where they put up 600 yards of offense. I mean, very seldom do you see anybody have a career night at the expense of Allen's defense, and I mean, John Matier took it to him. So I'm curious to see what that means. Obviously, with Little Lum, I mean, they threw the ball 50 times. Guyer's not going to do that. Um, but just, I mean, it's it's still such a young season for this Allen team. They were playing just their fourth game of the year against Little Lum. So there is still an element of this Allen team that we kind of don't know a whole lot about. But then you look at a team like Geyer, you know, 5-1 and one under uh, their new head coach, Rodney Webb. Pretty much since the second quarter of their district opener against McKinney, they've been on fire. They've um, it was Ironically enough, they started off district play. It was 21-21 to 21 against McKinney through one quarter. And then since then, they have outscored the combo of McKinney, Prosper, and Denton Braswell, 107 to 44. Um, you know, just, uh, you know, great stuff on both sides of the ball. Just a team loaded in Division One talent with their quarterback, Eli Stowers, committed to Texas A&M, one of the top dual-threat quarterbacks in the state. Got a power running game led by Byron Phillips and a big play receiver out there with uh, with Grayson O'Bara. Uh, defensively, I mean, there's just Division One talent at all in all three levels. You know, whether it's Cooper Lands up front, I believe it's Baylor he Baylor. Be committed to. And then Jordan Eubanks, Florida State linebacker. And then, obviously, in the secondary, Deuce Harmon, Texas A&M. I'm anxious to see kind of how they approach it from that standpoint where they how they deploy Deuce Harmon given Allen's you know their other tandem on the outside of the Green Twins Oklahoma State commits Blaine and Bryson Green how do they use Deuce Harmon to try to counteract that how does Eubanks and Lance how do they fare against that explosive Allen run game led by Jordan Johnson and Jalen Jenkins and then obviously there's the coach Rodney Webb angle I mean one of only four head coaches to have a win against Allen since October of 2012 and with him I mean you, you saw the 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 seeds being planted for what a Rodney Webb-led team could do to Allen in, what was it, 2018, when they played them in the uh, in the second round of the playoffs. Allen was able to pull away late, win that game 52-41, to 41, but Rockwell gave them all sorts of trouble. And then last season in the second round of the playoffs, Rockwell got the job done 60-59, to 59, sent Allen packing and denied them. I guess that was, what, the first time since that 2012 season that Allen didn't get to the state semifinals. So, you know, with Coach Webb, you know, and the, and the talent that he has with Geyer, you know, they, I mean, they looked so good last week against Braswell, forty-nine to seven against one of the top offenses in the uh, in the area. So, is this a sign that things are starting to now kind of kind of pick it up as far as you know them starting to pick up this scheme and starting to kind of hit their stride and realize their uh, their potential? Um, you know, there's just, as far as a pick for this one. I mean, I hate that you only get to spend just a few minutes on this game, but I mean, there's a, there's a lot to like about Geyer in this one. There really is. There, I mean, if you just you look at just the way that these teams have you know have played recently, I mean, Geyer is playing the more stable brand of football. You know, again, with Allen, there's no telling how much of the, you know, the inconsistent, the inconsistencies have been related to that time off that they had. Um, but, you know, Geyer has, um, is playing the more stable brand of football right now. And they've, they've been through some wars that Allen just hasn't up to this point. Um, you know, they went blow for blow with the number one ranked team in 5A Division One, Denton Ryan, lost that game 23 to 20. You know, but then they, um, they had to rally in the fourth quarter to come back and beat Prosper on the road 24 to 23. And now, granted, Allen, there were some, you know, some certainly some uncomfortable moments last week against Little L, but nothing to the tune of having to stage a game-winning drive on the road against a state-ranked opponent like I did versus uh, versus Prosper. And then again, you've got someone on the sidelines who you know is going to coach with the requisite amount of fearlessness that it takes to beat Allen. I think that is such a massive intangible in this. All that being said, and I just... I, 
I'm just really uh I'm still going Allen in this one, and it's I, I, I've just I've seen Allen come through in these spots one too many times yeah. over the years. I mean, there's the streaks that Allen has, you know, that are in play right now. A 79 game regular season winning streak, which according to Texas Texas High School Football History dot com, that's the best ever. They just passed the best ever. Galena Park North Shore, I believe, was 78, and Allen just passed that with that win over Little Elms. So that's the rarefied air that Allen is playing in right now. They have a 62-game district winning streak that dates back to 2010. Haven't lost a district ball game since then. It was actually to Hebron who beat them, and that was also the last time that Allen lost a game at home. They're undefeated in the brand-new Eagle Stadium. Um, now, granted, I don't think home field means as much this year just because of the pandemic and the limited, the, the limited uh, capacity for these stadiums, but... You know, just in, in having covered this Allen team for as long as I have, there have been a number of, you know, big games that have surfaced in the regular season. Um, now, I do think this is the, the most, the, the, the toughest test as far as that district championship streak goes. But Allen has shown over the years that they are able to elevate their level of play for these games. They get up for games like this. And I, uh, I I've seen it happen one too many times. And I think it's, I don't think it's going to be easy by any stretch. I think Guy has a great chance to win this game, a better chance than anybody that Allen has played in district since that uh, that 62 game streaks uh, began back uh, 10 years ago, but I uh, by the slimmest of margins, I'm taking Allen in this one. But I'm the only one sitting here that is. <laughs> I guess me and Devin both picked Denton Guyer. Yes, you both picked Denton Guyer. So um, yeah, one of y'all just um kind of walked. I guess from the Denton Guyer side of things, what led y'all to uh, to that verdict? I, I would say their defense. Mm-hmm. Um, not like you just mentioned the Division One talent over there. The thing that they can do is they can get after the quarterback. Mm-hmm. And obviously, like, when you have, like, an offense, like, you know, like that, uh, like Allen that has, like, you know, General Booty and the way he's connected with the with the Green Twins right there, this is, like, the, the one defense that could probably get him out of a rhythm right mm-hmm. here. Uh, I was looking at this this morning. <clears throat> excuse me. Um, they, in six games, they've had 24 sacks. That's, that's pretty and, impressive. And this is just even more impressive. They've had 45 quarterback hurries. Okay. So I feel like this is a team that can, you know, take their passing game off the rhythm right there, you know, just kind of force, you know, booty into some uncomfortable situations right there. Maybe, you know, get a few sacks of him, maybe force a turnover as well too. And I, I think that's the one reason, like, like this morning, I actually texted you this morning. Yeah, like, this I was an 11th hour. This uh, is 11th hour change right here. Yeah. So I actually texted Matt this morning. I'm like, I'm like, I just want to change my pick because before today, like I was just going off the mystique of Allen right mm-hmm. here. It seems like they can just win big games in big situations. But not only was their defense, but it was just the Rodney Webb factor as well, too. Mm-hmm. You saw what happened in the playoff game last year. I, I can't remember if you were there. 18- I was not at that game, no. I was on state volleyball duty that night. Oh, okay, okay. But I just remember – it, it just seems like Rodney Webb, he just has that pedigree for, you know, you know throwing Allen off its game right there. And obviously the 60-59 the, the to 59 game where they won on a two-point conversion with, like, literally, like, less than a minute left. Yeah. It, and even the year before that, like, uh, like when they actually led Allen in the first half, and the only reason I think they kind of lost that game is because Njigba got a little bit shaken up there in the, in the third quarter, mm-hmm. and he had to sit out a couple series right there. So I think that kind of took them off the rhythm. But mm-hmm. I feel like, you know, it seems like, it seems like big game web. It seems like he just knows how to, you know, figure out a way to just, you know, take away their, their strengths right there. So I feel like, you know, especially that one and also, also the tur- like the turnover on Allen's defense right there, mm-hmm. this coming up this season. Cause I think you had, they only had what one returning starter. Yeah. So, I mean, it feels like the, over the last couple of years, Allen's been able to outscore people, 
But it feels like that you can only do that for so long. And I feel like Geyer, with the, with the pedigree that they have, not only on defense, but the way they run the ball right there, I feel like they're going to pull out the victory. Yeah, curious to see because Allen's offense has scored at least 40 points in every game this season. So, yes, this is obviously the toughest defensive test that they've gone up against so far. So, yes, a 2-1 to ballot in favor of Denton Geyer to score the win over Allen Friday in uh, one of the most high-profile games in the state. Um, let's look at another high-profile game. This one, however, in District 7-5A Division 2. Some, uh, some nice backstory between these two teams. Frisco makes the trip to face Denison. This one Friday, 7 o'clock, out at Munson Stadium in Denison. Like I said, there's some history there. Denison is the last team to defeat Frisco in district play. This one was a... Uh, Bit of an oddball, 10-7, to 7, not exactly the, uh, the kind of score you come to associate with modern-day Texas high school football. But, yes, that is uh, that is what it took to subdue Frisco last season. Um, you know, Devin, just um, kind of talk a bit about this matchup and ultimately where you're leaning on this one. I mean, it's – I think it's going to be a good game. Mm-hmm. I, I think, you know, Denison uh, – you know, Frisco comes in with the state ranking, but, you know, Denison's 4-2. and two. Um, You look at that, well, you know, one of those losses to Texas High, who's state-ranked and undefeated. Yeah. Um you know, and their other losses to Lovejoy, who they played tough. So, uh, you know, it's going to be a close game. I, you know, Frisco is just so methodical. Their defense is so good. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, they're allowing less than 10 points a game. Uh, you know, they got the playmakers in the secondary with Chase Lowry, obviously, you know, with four interceptions. Miles Mays has three interceptions. Um, you know, A.J. Yassili, Drew Johnson, guys like that that are just, you know, tackling machines. Um you know, they're just so solid across the board. Um, and it allows their offense to kind of do its methodical thing. They don't have to press. You know, they, they average less than 10 pass attempts per game. You know, Kareem Green doesn't have to do a lot. But when he does throw the ball, it's been effective. I mean, he goes basically, you know, nearly 25 yards of completion. It helps when you have Chase Lowry out there averaging nearly 30 yards a catch. No doubt. <laughs> uh, but what they really like to do is, is pound the ball, control the clock with guys like Bradford Martin. Um who, you know, even if the defense knows he's getting the ball, he's still averaging 10 yards carry. Um, you know, A.J. Janana, you know, they just got they, they got their formula. They've got their method. And the other team knows what they're going to do. It's just how can, you, how can you move the ball in that defense and how can you slow down that offense mm-hmm. in that ground game? And really no one's been able to do it so far. Uh, you know, Denison, it'll be interesting to, to, to see how they do it. They would prefer to control the clock on their own uh, with guys like Jadarian Price and Asa Osborne. Um, but again, they've got the offense going the last couple of weeks, but it's been against, you know, kind of the, the bottom tier of that district. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing about Denison is in their games, six games so far, they do have 13 takeaways. So if they can get a couple of takeaways, I think that's going to be a necessary, uh, ingredient to, uh, pulling off. I wouldn't call it a huge upset, but it'll be a mild upset mm-hmm. if they were able to not frisco off. But as, as they saw, as you saw last year, they kind of follow up that same formula, uh, it's a victory last year. Uh, keep it low scoring. Control the game with their own rushing attack. Uh, so it, it ought to be, you know, it ought to be a close one. But I just think Frisco, the way they've been playing so far this year, uh, again, if they, assuming they avoid those turnovers uh, and stick to their game plan, I think Frisco moves on, remains undefeated. I'm curious to see the kind of strides that Frisco's passing game makes in this one. You mentioned obviously it's not a high volume passing attack by any stretch, but it was an area where they really struggled in the last year's matchup. Yeah. Just two of eighteen through the air in that game. Yeah. And granted, their defense played outstanding, even in defeat. They held Price Osborne and their quarterback Caleb Hefner to a combined what two point nine yards per carry so I mean they were effective in that respect um, but again I think yeah a year older 
you know, Kari Green in the offense. You know, I, th- I expect them to generate a bit more this time around. And I am curious to see, just because, you know, that Dennis in defense, they've already shown, I mean, Lovejoy, you look how Lovejoy has just been rolling ev- rolling up points on everybody, and then they had to mount a fourth-quarter comeback there against Dennis. And Dennis did a really good job making Lovejoy sweat in that game. So this one could be sneaky close for sure. Um, but, yeah, I, I like Frisco to get the job done as well. And um, so does David. We're unanimous in this one. We like the Frisco Raccoons to remain undefeated on the season in, uh, in pursuit of back-to-back district championships and avenge their, uh, their loss last year to Denison on Friday. Let's look at another game in District 5-6A. This one, part of the uh, kind of that log jam right now for the, uh, we feel like, again, we've got the uh, those top three seeds in some order are going to be Allen, Guyer, and Prosper. Fourth seed is just a complete, just, yeah, it's, it's a mess right now. But this is one of the games that's going to add a little bit of clarity to it. McKinney travels to Denton to face Braswell. This one Friday, 7 o'clock at C.H. Collins Stadium. Two teams that are very, very different in terms of just stylistic profiles. You know, McKinney's offense looking to get on track a bit. It's been a, a pretty uneven year. You know, they're averaging just under 24 points per game. Um, you know, I think back even as early as their opener against Plano, and they just they came out and looked so incredible for the first you know quarter and a half, led 21 to nothing. And then they just the someone just shut the water off in the second half, and they just couldn't get anything going. They needed a uh, some uh, some miracle, some miracle play on special teams, and then a, a two point conversion to persevere in that one and win thirty six to thirty five. And you know they've had moments where they just it you know it just hasn't really clicked yet on offense. And you know they've got that power running game though with R J Carver, and that's one thing where if you look at Braswell, because you know, Braswell is I mean the offensive numbers they put up are just staggering. You know almost forty oh, points yeah. per game, but and it's insane too because they are averaging almost forty points per game. And and that is with two games on their record of 14 points or less. I'm about to say it's kind of feast or famine. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, Geyer, I get. Boyd. Boyd, 12 points because Boyd, I didn't really. Boyd's defense is, Boyd's defense is, is sneaky decent. They, yeah, they... and that's not to take anything with Boyd, mm. but if you just look at those gaudy numbers across <laughs> the, I mean, I mean, the balance, I mean, just all the way across the board, yeah, mm. I was sitting there going, okay, this is going to be easy pick. I'm picking Braswell. Yeah. Boyd's got, I started a, thinking about Boyd's it. got a solid front seven. I have 14 points is not what I would have expected, but I'm not surprised that they held him well under what they were, uh, they're capable of. But it's, again, but Braswell will give up a lot of points as well, though. Yeah. So they're averaging almost 40 a game, but they're giving up almost 45 a game. So if there is an opportunity for McKinney to right the ship, this would seem to be the matchup. The one thing about that Boyd game that stands out is, in addition to what the defense did, they also did a great job just controlling the clock in that game and just limiting the snaps for that Braswell offense. And when you look at McKinney with R.J. Carver and that power running game, what they're capable of, I think that you could – I think that's a – that's a recipe that they can potentially have some success with. Um, so, yeah, I again, despite these two teams being so different stylistically, I do think that McKinney at least has the, uh, you know, the more uh, the more reliable brand just because of what they can do on defense as well. Again, for as much as the offense has, you know, has been trying to find its footing. I mean, the defense held Marcus, who's just looks like an absolute world beater right now in six six a. They held them to their lowest output of the season, twenty seven points. They held a skyline team that's looked like they're treading towards being a playoff team in ten six a to just thirteen. Prosper only had 27 last week on them, so they can play some pretty solid defense in McKinney, too. So I think that that's going to be the difference in this one. I like them to get the win against Braswell. How about you, David? Um, did I pick Braswell? Let's pull it up and see. <laughs> Either way, you sound incredibly confident. Yeah, I was going to say. Well, and, and, you well, did well, pick Braswell, so I did pick Braswell. try to find a way to rationalize that now that you're aware that you picked them. <laughs> uh, the, 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 the spot's on me right here. <laughs> well, like... McKinney, like, they've had some good spurts in offense right there, but, like, the consistency with Braswell's offense right there mm-hmm. to be able to put up that many points, like, 
I feel like McKinney can be able to get some you know, yardage with R.J. McKinney, but, like, you know, the passing game for, like, McKinney is just kind of hit or miss sometimes. Mm-hmm. So I'm, that's the reason why I feel like I'm going to go with Braswell in this game. So, yes. What, what I, I said earlier this, I said I looked at their stats and I'm picking Braswell. I didn't, in fact, though, pick Braswell. I picked McKinney <laughs> because I know better than to get caught up in the numbers and the hype. And it's real easy because, again, those are those are sexy numbers. Mm-hmm. Those are incredible <laughs> numbers. But when you get down to, to what they've done against quality teams, and like you mentioned, McKinney, I think that win over Skyline is impressive. That's mm-hmm. a win that's really aged well. Yeah. And if you look at spurts, not the entire four quarters, but spurts against two really good teams in Guyer and Prosper, they played even up really well. So I just – I think, like you mentioned, the defense, I think I did, in fact. Just to go on the record, since I said Braswell was going to win earlier, i got to <laughs> clarify and say I actually did pick McKinney to win. A 2-1 to one ballot in favor of the McKinney Lions to beat the Braswell Bengals in a pivotal matchup over in 5-6-A. Let's close out with a pivotal matchup in 7-5-A Division One. a battle of the two remaining unbeatens in that district. McKinney North travels to Highlander Stadium to take on number two-ranked Highland Park. Um, with McKinney North, we talked about them on uh, on Monday's podcast and just some of the uh, the unconventional ways in which they figured out uh, they've just maneuvered their way to a three and zero start in district play. Whether it was you know getting the uh, the non offensive touchdowns and that win over Tyler to you know a, uh, an intentional grounding call on West Mesquite being the uh, you know what kept uh, what was able to help allow the Bulldogs to hang on for a thirty five to thirty two victory in them and then just that uh, that great second half that they played um, against Wiley East and you know they have found ways to generate points you know beyond their offense which is a, it's a, it's a valuable and tangible, especially in games like this where you're probably going to need some scores that are a little bit unconventional to, uh, to keep a, you know, to keep pace, um, you know, but at the end of the day, I just, with Highland Park, I'm a simple man, Devin. I see Highland Park's playing a game at home. I pick them to win that game at home. I mean, they've only lost one time to a team in Texas at home since 1998, and Again, it was a special team with Frisco Lone Star last year that went on to make it to the state semifinals, was number one ranked in the state most of the year. Um, so, yes, I uh, just because of, again, and I said earlier that I don't think home field means as much this year because of pandemic reasons, but how can you go against that history that's in Highland Park's favor yeah, in this one? Yeah, we really can. You talked a little about the Allen, the Bastique. Well, I mean, Highland Park has that same mystique, and they've had it longer. Yes, uh, there's just Much something longer. about going to going to Highlander Stadium and, and and covering games over the years. You know, and talking to coaches down on the field before the games, and it's it is it's something that they have they address their players. But there's just something odd about that walking in there. You know, McKinney North has been a nice little story for sure. Um, you know, they're going to be a playoff team in that district. Oh, yeah. it looks like with, yeah. it, it, it looks like they are because again they have three key tiebreaker wins. But again, the three teams they've beaten have a combined two and fourteen record. So they're stepping into an entirely different uh, class of team. Uh, you know, this is a Highland Park team that beat Rockwall 46 to 18 early in the season, and that's just God. They did. Jeez, I didn't have completely forgot. Yeah, about that. I mean, it's just, and so that shows their potential right there with Braden Shager and that group yeah. of receivers. They go on the road last year, uh, last week, and beat Longview. Mm-hmm. Talk about places with Mystique, Lobo Stadium. Um, 18-13 in defensive, you know, slugfest. So they showed they could do it in that respect as well. Uh, the 18 carries for 24 yards on the ground last week is a little bit of a concern. Mm-hmm. I just think that passing game is so good. I don't think they'll have this, the same difficulties, even though they don't have a go-to running back at this time. Uh, but Kitty North is not Longview on defense. I just, it's like you say, when, when if it's Highland Park and it's at Highlander Stadium, it's a pretty easy pick. So yes, it was a 3-0 ballot in favor of the Highland Park Scots to uh, to defeat McKinney North in this. 
game Friday, 7.30 out at Highlander Stadium. And, um, yeah, that is at least um, the marquee games that were up for consideration for Game of the Week this week. Let's quickly go through the rest of the picket line, talk about just a, uh, some quick picks for um, a few of the other games that are up for uh, consideration. Um, speaking of District 5-6A, the other game that should add a little bit of clarity to the log jam for fourth place in that district, McKinney Boyd versus Little Elm. Um, we're all picking Little Elm, fresh off a spirited showing against uh, against Allen. We'll see. Hopefully it's not the Jekyll and Hyde showing from Little Elm, given that the uh, given the uh, the clunker they had against Braswell early on. But we like the Lobos to get the win over McKinney Boyd in that one. You've got some uh, some rival reaction to McKinney, and not McKinney, but Mesquite ISD this week with, um, oh, that's oh that's right. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. They got yeah. COVID. So, yeah, Nick's, that's, it's. The you know, 51st installment will have to wait till December 5th. It, it, always, ha- it always happens, man. It feels like the last, uh, the last three weeks have had at least one game on the picket line mm-hmm. that falls through after the fact. So, uh, yeah, well, uh, we'll pick up with you later on in the season. Mesquite, <laughs> Mesquite North Mesquite. Uh, some action then over in District 66A with uh, with Plano East and Flower Mound. Somebody's O's got to go. Yeah, both are uh, 0 and 3 in district play. Um, this one, though, had a split ballot. Uh, Devin, let's see. Uh, Devin's going with Plano East. David, you Again. and I. <laughs> you are going to die on that, on that hill this season. And then, uh, David, you and I going with the Flower Mound Jaguars to get the win here. This one gave me some trouble just because after seeing them against Plano West, I'm curious to see if there is a move coming at, a, at quarterback with Plano East. So that could be something that kind of swings the, the scales in their favor in this one, given the lack of film on, uh, on Harris Boyd. But um, nevertheless, though, yes, we are um – me and David are going with Flower Mound in this one. Uh, Plano Weston Marcus is another big one. That one over at Clark Stadium. Um, Marcus has uh, just been outstanding this season, and we'll see if Plano West defense can offer up any resistance. We, um, The three of us don't see it. We all pick Marcus to get the win and remain undefeated on the season. We have a, uh, a, a private school game that materialized um, kind of out of thin air here. This game was initially canceled earlier on due to COVID reasons, but it has since been rescheduled. Preston Wood and John Paul II. If I wasn't at Alan Geyer, this is the game where I'd be. I was really looking forward to the game this year. Shame they happen to schedule it on, you know, it's the biggest regular season game of the year for uh, in my coverage area. So, um, But nevertheless, though, we all like John Paul II to get the win over Prestonwood. I believe that would be their first ever win over Prestonwood in football. So some awesome history on the line there between the Lions and Cardinals. Um, so, yes, um, your quick picket line standings before we close up shop here. Um, Devin, 44-22 and 22 on the season. David, 46 and 20. I'm at 51 and 15. So we will, um, we'll see what is in store, but that is a look at um, kind of where we are as far as some of the marquee games in our coverage area for the week. And that'll do it for this episode of the Star Local Media High School Sports Podcast. We'll be back on Monday to um, kind of do the same thing we did on Monday, except we're going to do a bit of a, uh, a bit of a stock check on Class 6A. So we'll see. Obviously, a lot of big things happening in 6A this week. So uh, some shakeup is bound to take place. So we'll be back on Monday to discuss that. Until then, folks, take care, and we will talk to you all later. Looking to hire top talent in your community? Look no further than StarLocalJobs.com. Our platform is specifically designed to connect local employers with qualified candidates in their area. With StarLocalJobs.com, you can easily post job listings tailored to your specific needs and requirements. Our platform is user-friendly and offers a wide range of options to help you find the perfect candidate for your open position. 
Plus, our job matching algorithm ensures that your listing is shown to the most relevant job seekers in your area. But that's not all, StarLocalJobs.com also offers a variety of resources to help you throughout the hiring process. From candidate screening to interview tips, our team of experts is dedicated to helping you find the right fit for your company. So why wait? Join the thousands of satisfied employers who have found their ideal candidate through StarLocalJobs.com. Post your job listing today and start building your dream team.